Before we get started, yesterday, Chicago had some of the worst air quality in the world, according to the World Air Quality Index, due to wildfire smoke from Canada. Yeah, you probably noticed it if you looked out the window or stepped out your front door, and it's likely to still be pretty hazy today, so don't put those masks away just yet. Our newsletter editor, Sydney Madness, put together a bunch of tips to help you stay safe and learn more about what's going on with our air. Find them now at chicago.citycast.fm, and make sure you're signed up to get Hey Chicago in your inbox each day, Monday through Friday. Again, that's chicago.citycast.fm. Today on CityCast Chicago, the City Council's Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights is slated to meet this morning, and it'll be just the second meeting since 2021. Even as Chicago has seen thousands of arriving migrants and asylum seekers in recent months. Leading that committee now is 40th Ward Alderperson Andre Vasquez, and he's here to tell us what to expect. It's Wednesday, June 28th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago is talking about. Welcome to City Cash Chicago, all the person Vasquez. Hey, Kobe, thanks for having me on. Uh, really glad to be here. I appreciate you. Can you let City Cash listeners know what are you all planning to cover in this committee meeting? Yeah, so the conversations we've had um, with the administration and different stakeholders is about having uh, regular monthly meetings. It's one, establishing what a progress report looks like every month, right? So, who are the stakeholders that are going to be here to talk about different issues, whether it's figuring out the housing? How are folks getting jobs? What's happening with the budget? What are we doing at the state federal level? Having regular progress reports as to what's going on, then having subject matter experts month over month. Like let's say one month we're having the Department of Housing. One month we'll have Department of Family Support Services to kind of dig in deeper and kind mm-hmm. of establishing that as like a cadence going forward. So we can be transparent about what's going on. We can really talk about what the city's doing and what the priorities need to be, and we can continue working on that month over month. Another city has set up $51 million uh, for newly arriving migrants and asylum seekers. Does this committee uh, have any say over how that money is being spent? And can you let listeners know just how the money is going to be used? There's the budget committee, right, which tends to get more granular as far as line items. But I do think there's a part our committee is going to play in having those conversations. And then I think through this committee, Folks will look at that and say, well, why are we spending here? Why don't we focus on the other things? So based on your understanding from just the passage of the ordinance uh, to allocate these resources, how does the city plan to use this money sort of big picture? Big picture, a lot of it is staffing, right? When you've got the shelters coming into place, you need folks to staff that provide the services, that are providing the food, that are making sure folks are taken care of, plugged into services, plugged into school. So a lot of it, to my understanding, is staffing. And I think that's why a major part of the conversation is, is the city getting the bang for its buck as it pertains to that staffing? Now, the, the challenge is with $51 million, you're looking at the funds covering till the end of July. Right. I was like, it's a stopgap. Eventually, this money is going to run out. So so what are those other avenues for, for keeping funding going? Well, we need to be having a conversation of, and we are, but we need to be really communicating out to the public and everyone else is the funding that we need from both the uh, state and the federal level to deal with something to scale. Like I've always made the argument that what we need to be talking about isn't lump sums of money every couple months. It needs to be a revenue funding stream that's like locked in, right? So when when you've got neighbors 
that have been organizing for years uh, as far as bring Chicago home, right? The increase in the real estate transaction tax. I think we need to be having that conversation because it's not just housing for the unhoused, it's housing now for refugees. It's figuring out how that fund covers housing in general. Um, but I think we need to talk about structural revenue to address the issue because I'm not asking for a couple, not a couple, tens of millions of dollars here and then you come back two other months or every two months, the state at some point is going to go, hey, we can't continue at this rate. We can give you maybe $4 million, and now you're really in a situation that we need to talk about what funding streams uh, need to look like. Yeah, I know you're paying attention to this citywide, but how has this impacted your war specifically, which covers several north side neighborhoods, roughly from West Ridge to, to Ravenswood to Lincoln Square? Yeah, I mean, in some regard, like it allows us to partner with a lot of the groups like Centro Romero, like Indo-American Center that are in the ward in a different fashion, right? I mean, they're inundated as well, so we have to work in partnership. Um, you know, the most distinct part is the police stations. So we know that in the police stations across the city, you're looking at anywhere from 30 to potentially 50 people living in the lobbies as we get more folks coming in. And so that's where we most are affected. Oh, you've seen that happening in the, the 40th Ward at the at the stations? Yeah, so 40th Ward has four police districts, right? 17th, 19th, 20th, and 24th, which means all of them are going through it. So we've got neighbors that are providing donations, and we're basically getting those to the police stations, working with different partners to make sure they're being helped. That's where we're feeling it. The mutual aid groups and the volunteer groups on the ground are the ones doing a lot of the heavy lifting. We're trying our best at as a ward office to support those efforts. And, and I think through the committee, that's part of what we want to talk about too. It's not mm -hmm. just top-down legislation. It's the volunteers and people on the ground doing all this heavy lifting and work that government should be having more of a hand in. So how do we support those efforts and like expand that in a way that empowers them? Right now, we're not even tracking the same across yeah. all the growth, and that's a problem. You know, as, as you've toured facilities, as you've met with arriving families, is, is there any moment or story that has stuck out to you? Anyone that's walked into one, and I've had this experience myself, like, it hits your soul. It hits your heart because, and I don't mean to, to minimize anybody's experience. When you see adults going through it, you know, as an adult, like, you kind of navigate. But when you see the kids, I'm talking like four, five, babies, seven-year-olds, right, that are living in a police station, that are walking around like, in, a, in their diapers, just kind of walking around like you would around a house at a police station lobby, uh, it's heartbreaking. I, when I walked in and like one of the kids came up directly and grabbed my leg, like I'm fam, and this is the first time I've, I've, I've walked in or, or talked to this family, that it breaks your heart. You know, as somebody who is first generation, who my parents came over in like 70, in the late 70s, it was tough enough for us to see that many people and that many families in a police station going through it is just yeah. it's why we're so committed to making sure we figure out a solution. When you think about your own story, your parents' story, you know, how does it compare? How do they mirror or are they different from some of the obstacles that, that you've heard about or had to navigate? I was a kid, right? I was born in 79. So I had to teach my parents when I was still single digit age how to like speak English, how to read the language, how to like, I had to help them with citizenship classes, right? And we're talking like they're sending VHS uh, tapes through the mail to mm -hmm. get people up to speed. Um, so in some regards, there's a lot of parallels. That's how hard that is. I think now it's harder because cash is less of a um, currency, 
right? Everything's like through a card, through a chip, right? Digital, as far as how you pay, interact, get paid. That mm. for folks who are coming from a different country with all those barriers, that to me is immediately a harder challenge than somebody who could find a job at a restaurant and maybe was getting paid cash in the 70s, 80s. It's, it's different. It's harder. It's a larger scale of folks coming in because they're being bust in as what we know to be a political attack also, right? Mm -hmm. So as you get closer to the Democratic National Convention, you we're going to get more. Because if you were on an opposing side trying to make a point, you would turn up the amount of buses during that time. Or as you get closer to the presidential election, because you want to make Chicago a narrative. So the scale of it is completely different. And, and it takes a lot for us to figure out what integration looks like. How is that conversation playing out in the 40th Ward and how are you encouraging your constituents to to both have that empathy while still demanding that, you know, neighborhoods are taken care of in Chicago, you know, throughout the year and not just when we have these, you know, these these crisis points? Yeah, I mean, and 40, it's 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 a uh, there's an added variable, right? 40 is like uh, just to be straight up affluent than other parts of town in a different manner. It's been gentrified over time. You got people that are more affluent. So we've actually been doing things, like we've got a motel, uh, the Diplomat Motel in Lincoln Avenue that we're converting from being a motel to being yep. stabilization housing, which is a pilot first of its kind, to make sure unhoused folks, not the re not refugees, but unhoused existing population, have their own units and kind of build up. And I'm getting pushed back with a little bit of NIMBY energy against trying to do that. So, so the dynamics are different across town everywhere, but your, your main point, which I agree fully, is that we know that there's a different experience, especially from like descendants of slavery who have like, you didn't decide to come here if you're a descendant of slavery or a slave, you were taken from land, right, and, brought, and, and, and treated like less than, than human. Then come to Chicago where it, it has its own level of segregation and racism and everything else baked in and police misconduct and a lack of investment, right? You have to take all of that history into account when you think about what is happening in this moment. Because yes, we wanna make sure refugees are taken care of and we're treating them like the new neighbors and new arrival they are. And also, you can't dismiss the fact of what that experience has been in an existing population that has been here and through centuries now has been attacked. So mm -hmm. part of what I wanna do to the committee is, is be clear on that that we have to speak about both. When we talk about housing, we're not talking housing for one bucket or the other. We're talking housing for all. It's just, what I don't want to do is to silo just immigration because it doesn't do justice to everything else that's involved in the larger conversation. Mm -hmm. An elephant in the room here is that the committee failed to meet until just this April. You obviously weren't the chair at this time, but what was your reaction as a city council member? Because when many of us hear about a task force or a committee, this is the reason we sort of sort of sigh and throw our hands up and say, well, will that get anything done? I mean, I'll, I'll, yes, and I'll take it further. It's, it's, it's proclaiming oneself or one city a welcoming city while not building any of the infrastructure necessary to actually be a welcoming city, right? I think that's, that's clear and we're seeing the results of that. And as far as like the prior term and, you know, um, Chairman Raboyeris kind of and the lack of any meetings, I'll say that there are dynamics that are very old school Chicago. So it's not exclusive to the prior chair or the prior mayor as to 
how people view those committees. Meaning, if the mayor wanted something moving, it's moving. If the mayor didn't want something moving, it's not moving. It's not even being brought up for discussion. And I think some of that led to not a lot of hearings. And because there wasn't a focus on that as much, people weren't feeling it as much as we're feeling it now. There was less urgency from the alders to be like, no, no, we need to talk about it. And so, you know, in the middle of this transition to now Mayor Johnson, we are feeling it a lot more. And so when I got the call from the mayor and to say like, hey, you know, I'd like to, um, I'd like to propose you chairing the Committee on Immigration. My, one of my first responses was like, all right, like I'll put in that work. So let's mm-hmm. make sure that given what the history is and what people view this as, we're going 180 from that, which is why we're doing right. How is your approach going to be different? What what does that 180 look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I I look at it modeling like the COVID crisis hearings under the Health and Human Relations Committee, where every month Dr. Arwady was showing up and going, "Here's what's looking like. Here's what we're doing." And like, I believe you need that cadence. You need that regular standing meeting to establish what your baseline is, where you're at, and track improvement over time that keeps everybody accountable yeah that's going to lead to the policy changes that i believe we need to make and the legislative ones to improve all of it one of the things that is is not on the agenda it seems is the police department's pattern of denying u visas which are designated to allow undocumented victims of crime to obtain legal status how is the committee planning to to bring this up and talk about this in the near future i think in justice watcher oig um made it pretty clear that People were getting rejected for the new visas. They weren't getting them in the first place. And largely this wasn't being communicated. So imagine somebody's a victim of a crime and by virtue of the fact that they came here from somewhere else and maybe have language issues and other other things aren't given the actual freedoms and rights one would need and deserve when you're a victim of a crime. And so we're looking to bring that up as a subject matter I, I'm guessing, you know, don't call me because we got to see the process, but I'm thinking maybe July meeting will be bringing that up. Chicago also recently became home to other waves of refugees from Ukraine, Afghanistan. How do you see your committee addressing these populations as well? And also, you know, signaling to the rest of Chicago, this isn't uh, sort of a one size fits all situation. First meeting that happens, I want to set that as as the framework that like we're in a crisis right now. That is that is particular, right? But the challenges to immigration and refugee rights, those are across the board, regardless of whether you're somebody who's being, you know, busting or flown in because you're part of the current crisis, or whether you just you've you've come here by other means from other countries and you're just having the same challenges. You can't find legal representation as you're working through a process. You're waiting forever to figure out your visa to get a job, right? Your, your communication language access are challenges. I think those are things that systemically one can say we need to address that are independent about a particular population or country folks are coming from, right? I think that's that's real. And then also, like kind of I mentioned before, separate from even the refugee experience, what are things that are, are where you've got the overlapping Venn diagram with our existing citizen populations and also our refugee populations you still got to figure out housing for folks across the board. You still got to figure out support systems. You still got to figure out mental health services that we want to not only bring those up, but we want to name the fact that they are overlapping in different communities. We want to name the fact that we're not only talking Latino community. Right. I, I, I think if we do that, if we if we if we were to only make it 
a Latino issue or only or not say specifically that it's not only that. The way people get it, it's it's unfortunate, but people feel like, hey, if somebody else is getting something, someone else is having something taken away, there's a net loss that we have to reframe that. We have to end this zero sum framing. Throughout this conversation, you've made it clear that you believe Chicago is not living up to its claim as a true sanctuary or welcoming city. What does it mean to you to be a welcoming city, not just in name alone? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you'd allow me to reframe a bit, I think think you're generally right. Um, I, I think the reality is we're all works in progress. The city is a work in progress. We all know what the goals are. I think that because there hasn't been full-on intention and focus, we have not built the structures necessary to, to figure out. How do we as a city make sure the onboarding and transition process is the one that's as seamless as possible? Hey, you're, you're coming in. How do we make sure you're being supported? What are the things we can provide? How are we making sure that you're, from the time you get here to the time you can get yourself a job, stability, be able to rent, get your own place? Like, How do we handle that part? And Make sure that other people, again, that aren't refugees also have the same level of service when it comes to those challenges. So I think I think I think it was important for us and for Mayor Washington to name that we're a sanctuary city and name the welcoming welcoming city as like planting the flag. We also need to make sure we're like building the road to get us there. That's what I'm passionate and invested in doing. Mm -hmm. And why do you think it's important for Chicago to be a welcoming city? Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, we can go t- two ways about this, meaning we can talk to values as people. But if you look beyond just what the, the surface level is, we're all the same folks. We're spirits and bodies. We're going through an experience. We have to make sure we improve for others, right? But separately from that, if you want to talk just economically, we've been losing base. We need to increase more folks living here. We need to increase more people that are ultimately paying taxes. We know that there are folks who in the restaurant industry and other industries are like, hey, it's hard to even find people that are gonna like work in these roles, even at the um, you know minimum wage that we're paying. Let's, let's connect that with folks who are willing to step right up and, and do it, and then figure out our whole ecosystem economically. So I think there's a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. What would you say to listeners? How would you inspire listeners to re-engage with the work of this committee? So I think part of it is making sure that people know that this is the platform through which the public can get those questions into government, we can as best as possible answer the questions and have a continual running meeting to do so. We want neighbors to understand what, what's happening, what the progress reports are, how we're improving. Um, we want neighbors to come, whether it's physically, whether it's online, whether it's asking questions before, finding different ways that we're gonna engage with the public to make sure that no one's feeling left out of that equation. It's also making sure that in communities that are being impacted, whether it's because you're reopening a school because a shelter site might be coming, um, how are we making sure that we're not only at City Hall, but what's the component of being on the ground there to make sure people feel heard as well? Mm-hmm. All of those things we're looking to develop so that the committee itself is one that people view as a platform and vessel to get that done, that we're hearing everybody out and that we're having the answers to the questions as best as possible and having the accountability associated with that also. A huge city cast. Thank you for the 40th Ward Alderperson Andre Vasquez, who is now leading the City Council's Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Appreciate you making time for us. Yeah, no, thank y'all so much. Like, love to follow up whenever y'all, y'all want to. This is great.
Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. After months of testing and $1.6 billion in renovations, Amtrak officially started its 110-mile-per-hour trip from Chicago to St. Louis. The new speed cuts off about a half an hour on the trip. Cornell Drive between 63rd and 59th Streets in Jackson Park will close to vehicle traffic for good starting Friday as part of ongoing Obama Center construction. I know, don't be mad at the messenger, more traffic headaches. And some good news. This weekend, Washington Park is going to be the place to be. Not only is Pride Southside rocking out at the DuSable Museum all Saturday, but the 30th annual African-Caribbean International Festival of Life will stretch from Saturday through July 4th celebrations. For more things to do in Washington Park, I got a little neighborhood guide for you in Hey Chicago. You can find it now at chicago.citycast.fm. Tomorrow, we're back talking all things NASCAR, how you feeling about the race this weekend, and what the city is hoping to get in the end. If you maybe want to hear yourself on the podcast, leave us a voicemail at 773-780-0246. Leave your name, your neighborhood, and how you feeling about the race. I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. Peace.